So this is on our agenda this week. Criminality and sabotage are suspected in this pylon collapse that has left parts of eastern Pretoria without power. As we record this podcast, I know that efforts are underway to try and repair things, but uh, the situation is still pretty dire. Across town, on the other hand, councillors in Tswani are engaged in another motion of no confidence. We'll have more on the Taba Besta drama as family members of his partner are arrested. All on this week's ScrollerCast, Scroller Africa's weekly podcast. I'm Jeremy Maggs and with me is political editor Zukili Majova. By the way, we are recording this as the country goes from stage five to stage six. So you can feel the frustration. There really is a tangible palpable air of annoyance in the air right across the country. So let's get to this pylon collapse first. Zokili, do we know for certain whether it was sabotage? Apparently, people have been looking at these, at these pylons for months now and warning that they're going to fall all over, over the N4. And any day, people have been cutting at the base, whether it's for, for the steel to go and sell it, whatever the story may be, but this has been happening for a while, that immediately tells you there is no maintenance, there is no security oversight that's been conducted. I mean, there are, there are lots and lots of, the, of these tweets, you know, lots and lots of warnings, and it's quite clear. When you, when you just look, you don't really have to do much investigation. You can see at the base that people have been cutting at the base. It says two things to me. One is that that is not necessarily an isolated incident and that pylons have now become a target one way or another. The second thing is we need to be very careful about using the word sabotage because it could simply be people who are stealing it for scrap metal, as you say. Sabotage implies something completely different. I know. That's why there's, there's an investigation of was there, or exactly what happened here. Was it sabotage or was it just criminality that relates to scrap metal and all, and all of that? But there are all sorts of incidents that relate to ESCOM and ESCOM's network and sabotage. Um, uh, Andre Durator used to, used to uh, outline a lot of these issues. There's been clear cases before where the pylons were cut at the base, and you can see that they were cut at the base, and these were happening during a time of political conflicts and all sorts of things. We being media people, obviously you know that the leadership of Tswane has exchanged hands, etc. And we're not saying that that's the case, but there is clear criminality and possible sabotage. Only an investigation will tell us what's going on. Whether or not this is a tactic, there is no doubt that the economic consequences are dire. Um, great swathes of eastern Pretoria, uh, an economic hub of the metro in darkness, for four days as we record this podcast. Uh, you'll tell us about one particular factory that you've written about uh, this week that uh, it would not surprise me if they said enough is enough. Uh, we're going to pack up and go somewhere else. And it's a big auto, auto manufacturer. Yeah, quite interestingly. CEO uh, Neil Hill was asked last night about the cost of doing business in South Africa. And he went, this oh, is the is, Ford Motor Company. Yeah? Th that, yeah. that is the Ford Motor <laughs> Company. And, and it went on. It's becoming expensive. There's load shedding. They say they've got something like 13.5 megawatts of backup power uh, uh, from solar in, in the factory. But that accounts for about 25% of the power that they need. They need reliable, stable power uh, for curing in the paint section. They've got a, a, a new press that they've brought in, a 30-ton press. They invested 
recently one billion dollars into in, into that factory. That factory also has got small factories around it, about 15 of them in the region of Waterloo, which is the, the industrial region that is now in darkness, that supply Ford. It's not only that, but if the orders are not coming true, even for, for other suppliers in other parts of the country, when the main factory is not bringing the orders, those parts are going to be affected. Those small factories in KZN, in Cape Town and elsewhere are going to be affected. As Ford here shuts down, they ultimately will shut down. So the supply chain consequences could be catastrophic. But beyond that, uh, it would just be immediate job loss if something like that happens. This is yeah, a real manifestation of the crisis that we find ourselves in right now. And I'm wondering whether there is the sense of urgency that we need. So back to the pylons, we saw the Minister of Electricity visiting uh, the site, looking worried, looking up, not saying much. But uh, the fact is that there is, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, a real sense of anger and desperation. Now, I'm just sensing there's no way out of this. Yeah, it's so unfortunate. You know, that, that particular industrial zone, it's, it's got so many companies, it's yeah. got uh, SA breweries, it's got Albany, Al, 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 Albany bakers, etc. And also, something like 40 communities have, have been affected by this. There is a sense of agency. ESCOM is there. Uh, 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 City of Tony is there. Well, City of Tony have been fighting among each other. I'm not really. I'm not really sure they are very good at responding to something like this. Immediately, the city is bankrupt. Uh, Auditor General has pointed out 10 billion rand unaccounted for. I'm not really sure if the new new mayor has got the resources to respond to this kind of thing. New mayor Celia's brink. But one thing about him, he has been forthright. He has been out there or every day updating people what is going on, etc. That's the kind of information flow that we haven't seen in Tony in a long time. Until the next motion of no confidence, which is inevitable <laughs> in metro politics these days. <laughs> Until the next motion of no confidence, as one is being presented today on the on, on the Speaker of the Council, it just creates all sorts of instabilities, uh, Jeremy. You can't run a city like that, especially a multi-billion run city like that. You, you just can't. Could you try to explain to me and to our audience, what the strategy behind these motions of no confidence are. I mean, on the surface, it's a pure metro power grab, but there's more to it than that. And I'm sensing that it's a, almost a practice run uh, ahead of the election next year uh, in terms of coalition building. Jeremy, there is a lot of power that comes with just being an MMC, you know, member of the mayoral committee. There is just so much power that goes with it. If you are given the responsibility for roads, for instance, suddenly all your friends who were suddenly in contracts of making bread are suddenly have registered construction companies and are getting tenders to sort of pretend like they are fixing portals. There is a lot of money involved, there's a lot of influence that comes with it. Everyone is fighting for those kinds of positions, those kinds of jobs. You know, that's what is going on. Small parties where people would really be getting nothing, they've got 1%, 2%, suddenly they are the kingmakers and can even become mayor. There's a motion of, conf of no confidence coming to, to, to Johannesburg. Uh, mayor Tapelo Ahmad, I think it's coming around the 24th of April, but later this month, that's going to be his first motion of, of no confidence. That guy, in a press conference, he looks lost, Jeremy. He, like, you, the guy just looks lost. He doesn't know what on earth he's, he's doing. We've got so many things going on in Joburg, and he doesn't have a handle on anything. And that TV interview that he gave earlier was just, uh, it, it was a train smash. No, Jeremy. Uh, it, it just indicated pure naivety, ignorance, and 
the old deer in the headlights. I mean, it was it was embarrassing. The guy doesn't have a clue what he, what he's doing. I mean, he's an ANC puppet mayor. Not that the ANC has any really strong candidate for executive mayor in Johannesburg or in Tswane for that matter, if you look at it. You know, they did have a mayor who was there for a month, you know, he's the chairperson of the uh, ANC in, in, in the Joburg region, Dada. No, he was not really good. He was not impressive at all. So it's not like the ANC has got options that, that are amazing as well. They, they don't. Let's uh, switch tack. We'll keep a close eye on this pylon story in uh, eastern Pretoria because it really has the potential to cascade uh, and to cause grave economic harm to that region, as you say. What I'm also interested to know, and I haven't followed this perhaps as closely as you've been doing, the this whole Tabo Besta story. Arrested now in Tanzania, uh, it goes all the way back to the burnt body in the cell. Uh, it's a story that, you know, if I was an executive at Netflix, um, I would be saying, uh, you know, who can who can I commission to write this? Because it's bizarre. But why do you think the story has captured the imagination of this country so much? And it's a metaphor for something, but I'm not quite sure what that metaphor is. Really? <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. the, it's the ongoing collapse of Everything, Jeremy. Yeah. And and now the funny part is that in this case... With a bit of celebrity sprinkled on the yeah, top. Yeah, yeah. And in this case, it happens in the hands of a, of a, of a private player. You know, I mean, we, we, we are interested in these private-public partnerships coming to coming to bear. I mean, you'd expect G4S would provide better services, etc. You know, but something that really struck me, if you're talking about Netflix, the father of Dr. Nandi Pa, there were pictures of him driving a new Porsche Cayenne, mm. very, very expensive car, and you begin to wonder, what on earth? I mean, really? This guy, where does he get this kind of money, etc.? It's, it's a very, very weird South African story, Jeremy. And now the latest, obviously, is the, the father of Dr. Nandipai has been arrested, appeared in court. You know, there is a, there is a parliamentary hearing now into the escape of uh, Tabo Besta. G4S today in Parliament couldn't provide answers. They don't want to take responsibility for anything, keep passing the buck, etc. Not, 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 not responsible for anything. You know, how did we get a fire inside a cell? Why did they move, move Baxter from where he, from where he was? Where do you to, get the body from? To cell 35, which apparently is a blind spot for camera and an easy uh, escape route if in case there is a fire. And then there was a fire. And, and, and there was Baxter and was able to escape on the day when cameras were not working. It's, it's pure madness. And all, from the evidence in Parliament, you can see that there was serious aiding and abating. I mean, the guy was given a laptop inside a jail to run a multi-million rand company. It's, it's, it, it when they were giving belief. him a laptop, what were they thinking, what is it for? First, they gave him a private cell. Then the private cell was in the middle of other cells. They moved to one that cannot be dictated by cameras. It says to me that this was a long time in the plotting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, Look, was, it was executed very efficiently. And it's quite clear it didn't include one or two or three people. It yeah. included a lot of people. It included daytime shift people are the ones who have been arrested, who, who have been, some of them, suspended, etc. There are still nighttime shift people who are involved. As you say, I mean, emblematic of, of a, just a general collapse of the entire system. But, uh, you know, if anyone at Netflix is listening to this podcast, 
Zakile and I are very happy to write the first wash of the script if you want to. <laughs> um, two updates, which I think we need, uh, we owe our audience. One is uh, we did reference this uh, last week, I think, Fort Air. Um, there have yes. been arrests now. Just remind us of the, uh, of the background to that story and what's happened. Very weird, uh, uh, Jeremy, for people to be killed uh, inside a university. One of the, the latest was a driver. Uh, the guy used to drive for the, for the vice chancellor. He was a bodyguard and a driver for the vice chancellor and was killed in his car on the property. A few, week, a few weeks later, somebody was, was, was kidnapped tied and locked in a, in, in a locker for ov ov overnight and not found the next morning by students. You know, there's been a lot of crime going on there, Jeremy. But quite interestingly, five people who were arrested at the weekend appeared in court yesterday. Three of them have links with the university. Obviously, it's an inside job. There had to be people inside the university. With what motive, though? That's what I don't understand. Let's look at the guy who, was the, who is... Uh, the fleet manager, because this guy is still employed. You know, fleet manager at the university, there is a lot of money that is involved there. There is a lot of power and influence, etc., in terms of who you hire to be part of that, including people who are driving the dignitaries and all of that. Just simple link. There's, there's one person who was a member of the SRC. He has opened a, 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 a vehicle repair, maintenance, and what, what shop behind the university. He gets his job from the fleet manager. That's the kind of influence. And together they were planning all of these things, these, these criminalities that, 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 that were happening at Forte. It's astonishing. It really is. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the vice chancellor called for the intervention by the president, you know, and to an extent, these are the results. Minister Begitele was in court yesterday, and so was National Police Commissioner Fani Masimula. They were in court, you know, sort of to take in the glory of... <laughs> but that's not the kind of headline that a university wants playing out. And if I'm a parent of a child at that university with the wanton violence that we are reporting, I would be very worried about it. Two murders at a university, it's Jeremy. Unsolved murders, yeah. no joke. It's no joke at all. You know, that's why the president really got his best, best of his best to actually get in there, get this thing sorted out. It's, it's a major embarrassment. And uh, just before we started recording this conversation, uh, there was an update on the Intercape story that we've reported on this podcast over the past uh, two weeks. Again, the, uh, the, 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 the whole relationship between the bus service and the, uh, and the taxi industry, but there have been developments on that story. Pleasing developments, from what I understand. Yeah. Well, I just got back on an Intercape uh, bus overnight on, on, on Monday night. Uh, very beautiful, uh, professional treatment. Buses are comfortable, you know, even though the roads are as horrible as hell in the Eastern Cape. At least you're not driving, though. Exactly, because that's, that's, that, that's, that's the other option. Yeah. You know, driving drowsiness, uh, driving 900 kilometers can take its toll and, on you. And you yeah, looking in, for the potholes You end up in an night. accident, yeah, yeah. you know, trying to look up for the potholes at 2 a.m. while you arrive in the Eastern Cape and you're really tired. It's, it's just not the option. Intercape is the option. Well, CEO of Intercape, Johan Ferreira, says they've got 167 cases that they've opened with the police over the past three years. Not a single person has been arrested, Jeremy. Not a single person has been arrested. No case has been solved. They had a court order against the previous Minister of Transport, Figile Mbalula, who's now an ANC boss. They are now suing the, the Minister of Police 
for for not for not uh, uh, taking care of these buses because they they stop in a particular town and people attack it. I mean, the local police station is down the line. They know what time the buses are going to arrive. Just to have a small uh, a van with the lights on. That's all you need. You know, but they're not doing that. So it raises two questions. One, is it a capacity problem or is it a collusion problem? Who in, knows? in small yeah. towns, Jeremy, most of these attacks are happening in the Eastern Cape, you are saying, in, in the area of Iduchua, Butterware, that line. They drive out the bus until the company says, okay, we're not going to pick people in that, in, that, in, that, in that route. Then the taxi industry comes in and opens the route from those towns to Johannesburg. So basically, drive out the competitor and take over the route, obviously, of, or overcharge people, treat them anywhere you like. You don't get the kind of experience that you would get in a professional environment as a passenger, yet you are being forced in, in, into an industry that is run by thugs. Okay, Zukili, so let's leave that. And as we conclude this podcast then, uh, we started in stage five, um, then we ramped up to stage six, but um, Gwede Mantashi has a different view on all of this, doesn't he? Our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our erstwhile Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy. If that's still his portfolio, things change so quickly these days. Well, he's, he's, he's the boss, really, on the energy crisis, and he's just not getting anything right. He said we're going to solve this matter within 6 to 12 months. He's still convinced, actually, that... Um, Load shedding is not going to be an electioneering issue because they're going to resolve it within uh, six to twelve months, and and he was. But he has to say that, doesn't he? He says if, <laughs> if this is the only ammunition that the opposition has against the ANC, that they need to think again because come election time, uh, this issue is going to be resolved. I mean, and he brought back the issue of car power ships that were, and it's quite clear now. When things become very desperate, that's the way they are oh, going to Oh, we're going to see those ships, whether they're birthed off Cape Town or Durban or Richards Bay or wherever. They're coming. They are, they are they're definitely coming. coming. I don't think yeah. they've got any, any, other, any other plan. But look, Jeremy, the ANC tends to celebrate how much they've given electricity to different homes, etc. What is happening here is what there was extra electricity that was generated by the Nats. You know, the ANC has not generated any new extra electricity on the grid. What they've brought in, which was supposed to be the major thing with the ANC government, has been Medupi in Kusile, and you know the story is there. Let's not even go near those two power stations. So Keely and I are going to fight our way back through the traffic because, as I say, stage six indefinitely, I think, was the note from ESCOM. That is this week's ScrollerCast. As always, thank you very much for listening. Toby Shapshak is our executive producer and Hans Baumgarten is our director of audio. If you liked the conversation, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and from the two of us, we'll talk next week.